and if it's a science then it should have a practical element to it not just theory just mm -hmm. like all sciences do um, and yet a lot of it is very much uh, theoretical so even though these students can explain to me what a sorting algorithm might be they cannot write a single line of code on today's Tech Talks, we are talking to Bourdieu and Wincy, the co-founders of NatWest's Girls Can Code and Tech She Can initiatives. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast featuring interviews with industry leaders and a little bit of technology news. Hello, Ali. Hello, Hayley. Hello. Uh, after Cecilia and Dennis, we now have Georges, which sounds what far more exotic. Evie? What happened to the E? I, I don't know, but Storm George or oh. Jorge, I don't know, J-O-R-G-E. What is that what it's George. called? George, yeah, is about to hit the UK. George, George Jorge, George, 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 But this, this one sounds exotic. Sure. This yeah. one sounds more exciting Sunny. than This time Dennis. last year it was like a bit weirdly hot, do you remember that? Was it? Yeah, like in we February. had like a bit of a weird heat wave yeah. in the Feb. I remember sitting outside having a drink off Q Green and it being over 20 degrees yeah. in, in February. In February, yeah. 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 Where's oh my that? No, don't, want, don't want Storm George. Mine. <laughs> it then also immediately after that got really bitterly cold. Yeah, snow. And then everyone was like, this is kind of warming. It snowed warming. end of January last year. Sorry? Yes. It snowed the end of January last year. Well, that's, that's quite that's normal. That's why it was no, so weird. But I'm saying it's snowing now only this year. Well, it seems to be that we tend to get quite cold March. And then by the end of March, all of a sudden we're climbing into summer and spring has just not bothered. We oh, just kind of not cannot wait for summer this year. But you not know, this Blossoms out, daffs are up. It's like... Please don't say you just... Oh, this happened daffodil. last year was when we had that daffs. weird heat wave. Yeah. Like, global warming, genuinely, the plants are a bit confused every year. Anyway, mm. you're looking at me like I'm nuts. You're grimacing slightly. No, I'm just wondering why you... You could have just said daffodils. It didn't take up that much time of your life, did it? Daffs. Daffs, sir. I can't no, believe it. That's all... like a little bit of slang, isn't it? Daffs. Yeah. That's not that unusual. I can't believe of all the things I've said as well, that's Totes the thing that you're going to take. Ridic. <laughs> what? <laughs> talking of Totes Ridic, we're talking about the, uh, the curriculum and uh, how schools are teaching children to code. Mm. You're enjoying that one, aren't that you? That was a good transition. <laughs> well done. Down Jay with the kids. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we're talking to NatWest Girls Can Code co-founders Wincy and Borju. We'll listen to the interview and then we'll be back with some commentary and then a bit of tech news to round off your week. So today I'm chatting to Wincy and Borju, uh, who are from NatWest Girls Can Code. It's Girls Can Code and then Tech She Can, right? It might be just yep, very interesting to find out from you what those two are and what your roles are here at NatWest and within those two organisations, I guess. Sure. Why don't we start with what we do? Mm -hmm. So I am uh, Wincy Wong. I'm head of the Rose Review implementation at NatWest. And what is the Rose Review? So the Rose Review was a report that was commissioned by Her Majesty's Treasury um, for Alison Rose, who's our bank CEO, mm -hmm. to do a report on female entrepreneurship. Okay. And uh, the Rose Review therefore highlighted all the barriers to female entrepreneurship across the UK. It also highlighted eight initiatives that are practical to help uh, um, to help focus on fixing those barriers. And that is my full time job. Exciting. <laughs> and Bonjour. Uh, so I'm just a grunt. 
uh, <laughs> markets in comparison. Uh, I work for the quant analytics division, uh, who essentially supply all of the mathematics required by the entire bank, not just now West Markets. I can't imagine any quant ever describe themselves as a grunt. You know, I struggle to pass GCSE maths. <laughs> you so. don't know Wincy. Like, in comparison to Wincy, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it very much is a gruntish type. I think type it's just different. It's very different. It's very different. We come from very different places. I think that's an understatement. <laughs> but we found each other. We did, indeed. How, how did we find each other? Girls Can Code. Girls Can Code. Yes, we, so we were both... That, that was literally in response to there not being enough technical women in technical, what should we call them? Roles? So did you yeah. start <laughs> Did you start Girls Can Code? Yes, right. we started Girls Can Code. We are what was that founders. genesis moment? So I was um, in digital and I was running digital teams. I was also uh, quite techie for a digital person. I think a lot of people who go into digital come from marketing backgrounds, digital mm-hmm. marketing backgrounds, which is great, but I had to work closely with the tech teams. And in order to bridge that gap, because before I did digital jobs, I was um, in finance, I was in accounting. I was a, yeah. I'm was i a qualified accountant. <laughs> and, um, okay. and then I went to digital and, and I, I learned how to code. I had to learn our tech stack, how it worked in the bank, so I could try to get some of these experiences I wanted out for customers through the door. And um, in doing all of that, I found it really difficult because there were very few women and people of color who... Um, who I was working with, and and I started facing some challenges. Uh, And I had a lot of energy, and I really wanted to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And everyone kept telling me about this girl called Bourjou. I need to talk to her. So I I created uh, Girls Can Code about a month before I met Wincy, and she took it and went pro with it, essentially. (laughs) Uh, The aspirations I had for it were nowhere near as grand as what it was later to become. I think that that's uh, reasonable to say. But it was essentially around the fact that most women who work in technology have periphery roles mm-hmm. as opposed to core technical roles. And they don't come from yes. core technical backgrounds. And all the events I was going to at the time were essentially standing behind the idea that you didn't need to be technical to work in technology, which is true. But the actual problem isn't that, you know, there are no women in technology as a division. The problem is that there aren't enough technical women in technology. And so the sorts of problems that we come up against, so even at the most fundamental level, like how do you influence people as a technologist and as a woman where everyone around you is a man and they have a completely different way of communicating to you? Those problems are completely different to the kinds of things that other employee-led networks were exploring at the time. On that communication piece, I noticed a stat that was sent across to me prior to recording that said 85% of female high performers receive negative feedback versus 2% of men. Yes. Is That's that spoken about this right. often? To the yes. communication piece, I would imagine. So I, I'm not, I don't think that it's necessarily... Um, it's not just communication. It's also about people not feeling afraid to say what they mean so it's not just saying what you mean to say it's about actually having a conversation not being afraid to have a conversation and um 
you know, often men can think that women are being emotional or they're being too sensitive towards certain things, but it doesn't mean that, you know, we don't feel it. And therefore, we probably do want to talk about it. So finding someone who will actually have those conversations with you is really important. So then your whole career becomes about finding the correct manager for you. And I think it goes to the crux of communication. You will naturally have better rapport with someone just like you. Uh, it's just it's just how mirroring works. It's just how we're built as humans sometimes. And, uh, and some people are better at adopting than others. I mean, you can have a conversation with someone exactly like you and sparks will go off. Uh, uh, and even if you're talking about the most mundane thing, mm. um, it, you'll have a connection. Sure, but communication where, requires actual communication. Whereas yeah, like most exactly. of the time, that conversation doesn't even happen. It's interesting, exactly. isn't it? Because the, the, the onus because of the dominance of men within business is on women to change or the pipeline problem with women or how can we attract oh, more yes. women. Yes. Rather than looking at the facts that what fifth, the, the second highest killer of men in the UK under the age of 50 is male suicide. Mental men health. don't talk, talk about, about their emotions. Yes. You're saying that you know women are too emotional or perhaps men aren't emotional enough. Enough, enough absolutely, yes. So, I mean, it's difficult to convince people of the value of that until there are other people like you who are also petitioning for similar kind of behaviour. Because ultimately, those conversations can be difficult and awkward, and oftentimes people feel happy about the fact that they disconnect emotion from work. In mm. fact, they tell you to do that. There is nothing emotional about this situation. And I don't see how that can be the case. Well, when it's a office crap. politics is, <laughs> you know, office politics is all emotion. And, and also, so they, also, we're told to do jobs that we're passionate about and that have purpose and meaning to us. Absolutely. And how can you do those without emotion involved? Well, have it, but then shut it down. Hmm. And that can't be a healthy thing. No. So we were both facing a lot of challenges, and and, and because similar. we're both very um, passionate and colourful and emotional in our own ways. I was using colourful. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes, uh, emotional, that too. emotional, yeah, aggressive. Colour, well, How many uh, other words can I think of that came up in my I know, exactly. There's, there's so, so oh, oh my gosh, let's not go into that. So, um, but but I think what, what, we, what we both recognised was the need for that technical aspect. Because I completely agree with Bourjou. I, I was going through a lot of events and they felt more like um, gender issues in general mm. versus them necessarily in technology so um and, and in core technology so we 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 started off by wanting to do a big event to in the way that we wanted to do and that's where netwest girls can code started so we worked on launching a massive event um it was backed by our ceo at the time ross McEwen, as well as our current ceo elton rose actually well it was actually backed by the whole of exco yeah by the but entire hardly, exco. hardly any other men turned up even though they were <laughs> they were coming so that was yes. quite funny and then um it was over five days five evenings sorry five evenings, five evenings um massive biggest tech event in general, I think the banks ever put on um, and, and talking about different issues. And that's where it started. It continued to, to manifest. And throughout that um, journey, we started to meet a lot of other women in tech in the industry outside of the bank. Mm-hmm. And when we did that, there were, there were about 18 of us in total. And we had a strong, we all had a strong desire to say, well, this 
is um, a problem, how do we change it? How do we change it for the next generation as well? And that's where the Tekshikan Charter started. Mm-hmm. So we founded that. That's an external organization, whereas Network Girls Can Code is internal. It's like a network of networks, yes. essentially. And what we did is we started with 18 women um, in tech, all technologists, who decided, actually, let's focus on education for the next generation. How do we fix it for 10 to 13-year-olds? Because that was the crux ages where we saw opinions start changing in, in children. It's now over 140 organizations signed up. It's grown massively in the last two years. We're coming up on the two-year anniversary soon. Mm. And we've launched a free platform with lesson plans called techweekend.org, um, where teachers can download and teach both boys and girls about future careers in tech. So this is an interesting point because when we came in here, we were joking about the fact that your notes say when mentioning education at the top of them. And you're talking about 10 to 13 year olds. And I I mention this because you say that you have work experience with 15 year olds on site at the moment. Um, And they are scared because they feel that because they're told that the future is tech, right? And because they're told that computer science is incredibly important, Mm -hmm. that this is something that they should be good at. Yeah yet they are scared to code or they don't know how to code. They know they know terms and phrases and expressions, but put them in front of a terminal and... Uh, I, I don't see what we expect students to get out of it. Um, and if it's a science, then it should have a practical element to it, not just theory, just mm. like all sciences do. Um, and yet a lot of it is very much... Uh, theoretical. So even though these students can explain to me what a sorting algorithm might be, they cannot write a single line of code. Well, what, what kind of, just to kind of explore this, what kind of demographics or schools are these kids coming from? Are they coming so from schools where... From, they were... They're actually from very wealthy, wealthy, good schools. Because the assumption would be, right, that they yeah. maybe don't have, the schools don't have the ability to give them the access to the And that's the, to what the I equipment. used to think. That's, so I've been teaching kids to code for seven years or so. I started off with a Raspberry Pi and a robot arm and got them to try and break it. Um, but this is kind of why I think what Wincy is doing is so crucial because it, it's hopefully going to be bridging that gap between education and skills required to get by in in life going forward. Mm-hmm. Because no one can get away from needing to have these skills. Even the most basic of things is now computationally intensive so the internet of things for example like your house is getting smarter it's not getting dumber so you're, you're going to have to be able to understand how to work this technology it's crucial that we have people bridging the gap between educational institutions and the real world and that's what tech can i think is is crucial and throughout the history of human life you know people have controlled others by withholding information and in my opinion i think things like coding and understanding how the machinations of tech work is having that knowledge enabled to control your own future destiny especially because tech controls everything that we do nowadays Mm -hmm. um uh, and it's it's just critically important I think from a young age to start understanding some of it even even if you aren't necessarily writing reams and reams of code for your day job or or for everything you do it's almost like speaking a language being able to speak that language is incredibly important so I think the, the, the thing I would add to this is that 
Um, right now, I feel like the dialogue around technology has a split personality. There are some people saying that, you know, you don't need to be technical to be in tech. And the, the side that I sit on is that now, more than ever, it is crucial to have those specialists in place to correct things as they veer off course. Because there are so many people who don't understand technology making decisions about how we move forward and where budgetary considerations go. For example, should we go into quantum computing or cloud? Wrong decisions lead to billions and billions of pounds of losses. Mm -hmm. So having these people around you who are genuinely technical is absolutely crucial which is why the next generation is so crucial because we're probably going to be the last generation now who were kind of 50 50 about whether or not we needed tech whether or not we needed to understand tech Mm. and that kids are a lot more intuitive when it comes to technology so if we could harness that and get them unafraid of code and what code looks like from a young age that can only be a good thing just out of interest where do you think that fear comes from is it a fact that through no fault of their own perhaps that teachers are not it's from enterprise or have not seen kind of no, the I think world. it's complicated where does the fear of maths come from you know it's it's like the same way that people feel they don't have an aptitude for maths they can grow into fearing that they don't have an aptitude for coding as well and so if you ram it down their throats in the wrong way then obviously you're going to have the same polarization with coding as you did mm. with maths because it's seen as something only the clever lot can do but in reality, who are the clever lot? Maybe their parents are coders. Maybe they've just been exposed to it and therefore are less afraid of playing around with it because mm. that's that's the key. Are you or are you not afraid of playing around with code? Look, I just wanted to then uh, kind of explore this very quickly um, before we, we wrap up. With with Tech She Can, you talk about a network of networks, which is a really interesting concept because mm. there are a lot of women in tech groups out there. Yes, uh, all talking about similar things and not quite, well, certainly not really joined up. I, I, I probably am I'm involved with five to ten myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can you bring that kind of collective together to, to harness what everyone's talking about? So that's something all of us noticed uh, on TechCan that we were all part of these networks. For example, we have Girls Can Code and there's other members who have their own internal networks, but we weren't able to effect the change we wanted, mm. even within our own organizations necessarily. What is that change? Though? That changes more women in technical roles. Yeah. Uh, well, well, exactly. In general, I think first we need more diversity in tech in general as well as, and definitely in technical roles as well. So, so, because uh, uh, I don't think, I know that you said there's enough women in technology, but there isn't even doing those non-technical roles. There is in my world. To me, it's it's not a problem. But again, it's a very personal thing, which is why there's such a broad range of opinions yes. mm-hmm. about what the landscape looks like. So, so what we wanted to do is say, well, we can become a lot more powerful if we brought all of the, all that energy together. Uh, that's what we have done. So under TechShiCan, when we go external, um, even though maybe one company has sponsored something or, or done something, we do it under the TechShiCan banner, because we, we feel that that gets more, um, it gets more oomph, 
it gets more impact and we can do more as a collective. So, so now that we have the power of 140 organizations rather than just one, we get a lot more attention from the government, for example. Mm. We work closely in the Digital Skills Partnership with DCMS, uh, Digital Culture, Media and Sport Departments, um, uh, and we're working, uh, and we're not trying to overtake or redo what a lot of these other networks are doing. We think it's great, it's grassroots, it's what they should do. However, we also spend time and effort to work on aims together. And we purposely chose this education of the next generation because we felt that not enough networks were doing that. Um, and you have some great organizations doing that, um, the technical side of it. You know, STEM.org, for example, is a good example. However, on the flip side, we needed to do more inspiring as well. Because these are, you know, 10 to 13 year olds. They get inspired by seeing people like them who are doing it. Uh, there was a study that came out just this week, I think, where, or last week, that said that children more than ever are still citing that they still want to just be doctors, lawyers, teachers, mm. like the <clears throat> same archetypes that we had when we were growing up, that that hasn't changed. And that's what we realized we needed to do. We actually need to, to change the perception of what was possible. And for example, in one of the, the pilots that we did in the eighth most deprived school in England up in Coventry, uh, one of the students had started out thinking people who worked in tech were just a man in a brown suit and some glasses. And when you put personality traits, they say, he sits in a dark room and has no friends. Mm. You know, it's like I a don't very know what you're talking about. That's picture. my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's the epitome of my life. But by the very end... Of you have better fashion sense than brown suit. <laughs> you do, exactly. It's because it's dark in here. And it's, it's, it's way more colorful. And, um, and we, um, and by the end of the program, that same girl drew herself with a superwoman cape, mm. saying that she wants to be a social media manager. And, and that was incredibly powerful. And that's what we saw. And that's why Tekshiken was so important to us, because we're all trying to help get that next generation to build that pipeline. And, and now we're starting to branch into other things as well in the older age set, like work experiences, to um, look at apprenticeships and, and so, other things. So I think crucially, even if all these networks have different, different opinions or different experiences, we do fundamentally agree on one thing, and that's the education of the next generation. Yep. Yep. And that means that we can work together for a common goal, even if we disagree about certain details. <laughs> Yes, many details. Many details. Many details. Well, look, I think the insight that you shared is, is fascinating, and I really do appreciate you giving up some time. So thank you to you both, and fingers crossed you managed to plug in more of those networks and, and change that, change the perception, I suppose, around education. Thanks Absolutely. Thank you. So most women... Right, I, I find this quite interesting, right, because there's a hell of a lot of groups out there um, who we are involved with and when I say we I mean Harvey Nash or even myself as an individual are involved in where their focus is getting women involved in technology yeah. as a blanket mm. and even actually there's a group uh, from the Telegraph uh, uh, women in technology yeah. not just code which oh, is almost okay. the not exact opposite, opposite of what we're hearing dialogue wise here and I think it's interesting because I can see the relevance to both, but I also really understand Borju's point about the code is what's at the heart of technology, mm. and if there aren't more women helping build code, well then we've got serious problems. Mm. Well, well, what was she saying? She was saying that um, 
she is when when this idea first came about she was attending loads of these events that was that was about technology doesn't just oh being a woman in technology doesn't have to just be te- you don't have to come from a technical background or be technical mm. but she she kind of came up with the point and she made a really good point when she said well that's where we're lacking all these women is the mm. the technical aspect of it so and that's where they came up with I mean when, when we talk about what 15% participation um, rates of women in technology we do include business analysts business facing roles exactly, you know, yeah. project managers etc I'm sure that's if we stripped case. that yeah. out of the data and said alright how many women are in technical roles the stats nice. would be yeah. fairly damaging and that's exactly the point that she yeah. was making yeah I wouldn't even want to guess actually what that stat would be but given the Given that code is where bias is built in, that's where you kind of go, all right, there, there, there is a really pertinent point there mm. because it's all very well kind of a business analyst or a bit or, or, or a project manager getting into technology and it's great that that hopefully encourages more women into the industry, but um, they're not the ones ultimately building the technology. They're working on the periphery, as, as, as Boju says. Yeah, and I think that actually some clients out there, well, a lot of clients now, especially in financial services, they want women and they want like women developers and things like that and if you know if you had a candidate like that and you put them forward they would probably jump at the opportunity mm. um, I'm not going to name any company mm. names but I know for a fact that that is definitely something that is in the what's it called when you're in high demand yeah high demand. no definitely and that comes from well I mean and this is very sad of me to say this but when it comes to inclusion right and especially when it comes to female inclusion and uh, female diversity um, it's become more of a trend that companies really want why because they're doing it we want to do it as well it's become more of a trend so instead of people actually going and doing what these two women have done girls in code being like this is this is there's a career path here for you Mm -hmm. do it we have people sitting in management rooms having diversity on an on an agenda list so we have people going we want these goals why can't you find them well because no one's doing anything about it yeah, no one's really educating are. them and like like they said they found the, the the kids that they were asking when they did run the ran these um events the kids they were asking okay what do you want to be one day they were still saying doctor lawyer whatever whatever mm. whatever no one's talking tech anymore because mm. what very yeah, frustrating exactly. i think that their perception of the technology industry tech industry isn't what it is yeah like they they aren't educated enough mm. about the opportunity that there is there and it's mm. massive and it's and you don't have to just be a lawyer to be successful there are really intelligent successful people in tech i suppose look i, I will say it, <clears throat> what i definitely don't want to do is detract from the great work that female networks within the broader technology industry right. are doing because because right. you know it's not like we have 50% representation in those areas yeah. it's still shocking but i can totally understand why there would be a need to really focus in on this as well mm. um, what about this uh, this bit of, of conversation you know men men might think that women are being emotional oh. but it doesn't mean oh. that we don't feel it oh. <laughs> i'm very glad you brought that up <laughs> I can see you getting a bit... Uh, uh, emotional. No, what, what did she call it? <laughs> colourful. She called it colourful. Yeah. Um, that made me frustrated. And I watched Shark Tank the other day. And one of the ladies... Do you guys... I don't know if you're familiar with Shark Tank. Well, it's it's, it's America's Dragon's Den, right? Exactly. That's exactly what Shark Tank is. And I watched it the other day. And one of the female investors 
um, I won't name names, but there are only two of them. Um, one of the female investors <laughs> said she doesn't buy into any entrepreneurs if they cry. If they cry or show that level of emotion, she doesn't buy into them because she, and this was a couple of years ago that this was filmed, she doesn't buy into them because she doesn't believe that they'll be able to hold themselves together in front of stakeholders. And what's fascinating about that is that about two hours ago, I was down at Omnicom and they've identified nine traits of successful leaders and one of the most key ones that they'd identified was vulnerability. Because if you don't show vulnerability, you can't relate, empathize, lead. Now, Which is the opposite. Of, so yeah. I'm, I, I, I wasn't finished. So, Sorry. No, it's a, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. And so a couple of years later, because I watched this a while ago, a couple of years later I went to read up on it and she completely changed her tune. Because I think, honestly, that's just the way the industry has gone. Because we were at that stage where everyone was really hard, very corporate, we're moving out of it so quickly, especially in technology, that the human element is so important now. So why do you think she's changed? Do you you think that she always believes what she now outwardly talks about, but business culture made her say otherwise? Or do you think her attitudes have genuinely changed? Um, What do you think? I was just going to say, I think that her attitudes change because she probably has seen that vulnerability isn't a weakness. Because maybe she has got that persona because of that. People might see that as a weakness and maybe not see as her see her as this. What is she a CEO? As a, an investor, so an she's investor. like a board. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just to throw out there as well, it's it's a massive, it's a colossal drain on resources for organisations um, if successful or potentially successful women are spending their career finding the right male manager to work for rather than just getting on with their jobs. Mm. Surely that's something that an organisation should go. Oh, hang on a minute. Our resources are being mismanaged and these men who aren't being open-minded are costing us valuable um, output from our staff just because women are trying to find people that they can actually Mm. connect with and work with. Mm. Hmm. I think um, think the issue comes in there, and and she said it earlier, is the fact that, yes, we are doing so much around trying to get women involved in technology and I don't think we're doing enough around changing and I say this very loosely, a man's mind. Um, so I don't think there's enough work being done. Like she said in this event, all these events that they have, multiple women show up. Multiple women show up. Where are the men? Where are you guys hiding? Those are the people mind we need to change now. That, so we should start having inclusion and diversity events for white male men. That's a joke. Um, take that back. No, but seriously. No, it's not a joke, though, is it? No, it's not a joke. It's me being genuinely real. That that's where I think there's 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 a little bit of a gap there. Men are emotional, otherwise men wouldn't keep killing themselves. Yeah, uh-huh. this is a good point. That is a very good point. There needs to be a, a, a heavy medium of those two things, right? And there's not it's the extreme to the other. Um. There's just one thing I do want to point out when it comes to emotions and feelings. I think that just because you don't think my feeling is valid doesn't mean I'm not feeling it. Doesn't mean it's not 100% real to me. And that's why it's so important to have someone who is empathetic in a leader position. Mm. And it's, it's something people lack. Out of interest, did math scare you two at school? Fear of maths? I'm really bad at maths. Fear of maths? I just, I just didn't like it. Fear? 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 Fear?
Is it fear or is it dislike? And I believe that with this as well, what she was speaking about. Yeah. Is it, is it just disliking something and not being really into it and loving it? Which, I mean, not everyone loves school anyway, but... I think it was that thing that I didn't enjoy it, so I tuned out, which then obviously yeah. made me not very so good I mean, at it. Exactly. This is exactly what I mean. And I just think it's because... And this might be the way it's going with tech as well, because it's not being maybe introduced right or yeah. they're going about it that way I think so this is where they're kind of like missing the trick maths, maths is taught in a particularly boring way yeah oh, and yeah. I can imagine that tech is as well however when I was in school IT I know but IT I'm not even joking it was a bit of a DOS you learn out how to send an email there was nothing you like, learn out how to send an email yeah, yeah so did this we. is what I remember we called it computer studies <laughs> that's what we called it we had, we, had, we, had, we had computer science computer studies I think computer studies and we learned how to Type quickly. We learned the correct way of typing. Yeah, like you weren't taught about like I mean, the cool stuff. That what's a coding? Do. I don't know what a coding is. A code egg. A coding. I don't know what coding. Well, is. I, I got something called the European Computer Driving License, and I can't even remember what it. I think it was like how do you open a spreadsheet? I don't really know. How do you use PowerPoint? Uh, I mean, when I was at school, we were still using floppy disks. Not floppy floppy disks. So, so are we, yeah. Small floppy disks. Yeah, we used floppy disks as well. I would have thought you would have been USB sticks by that point. From Africa, bro. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> not many resources. Hayley, what did you use? Surely it was USB sticks. Yeah, USBs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not from Africa. Uh, okay. <laughs> but can we, can we full circle back to this, um, this dialogue in tech? I like that it's been described as a bit of a split personality. Um, I, I also like that she, that Borgia in particular, and I, and I know we've kind of focused on what Borgia was saying and, and what Wincy, there's a lot that Wincy says that is amazing, but I love that Borgia really focuses in on that. You know, you must have specialists in place before it veers off course to avoid billions of pounds of losses for organisations. That, because fundamentally organisations will only change if there's a commercial pain point for them. Which is sad, but probably but realistic. Well, the only way people make money is to make money. That's <laughs> that doesn't make sense, but you understood what I meant. Money makes money. Money makes money, but also that's not what I meant. What did you mean? I meant you're trying, that you're trying to get the, out. The, the only way things change is if you can point out a financial benefit to them, right? Yeah, like is that what's most especially important? when it comes to organisations? Mm. Everyone's always asking, well. What, 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 how do you justify that? Look, it's a fascinating conversation. Loads of interesting stuff there. So really, really thank you very much to Wincy and Borju for coming on and being our guests. Best of luck as well to the continued growth of NatWest Girls Can Code and Tech She Can. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. We are back with a very quick piece of technology news to round off the week. Uh, here's a news article. Users would tell Facebook their bank balance 
for $8.44 a month. A study of people across six countries find that German users would charge the most for sharing personal data. So let's play a quick game of higher and lower. Uh, whilst, because, <laughs> um, yeah, German Facebook users would, would want the social media platform to pay them $8 a month for sharing their contact information. What do we think US users would charge? Uh, five pounds. Five dollars. Five dollars. More, more than that. No, no, it's lower. Really? Yeah. Uh, four, four fifty dollars. Three twenty. Higher than that. Okay, four pound. No, lower than that. <laughs> oh, um, uh, three fifty dollars. Three fifty dollars. US users would only seek three fifty, according to a study of how people in various countries value their private information. Germany, eight pounds. Eight dollars. Do eight dollars. Oh dollars. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Germans. Germans have more of a, a sense of. Well, as they have more of a sense of, of self-worth yeah, than Americans, yeah. it would seem, when it comes to personal information. Now, is that because Europe has better uh, personal data policies, things like GDPR, which America doesn't have at the moment? Is it just that, you know, we, we all throw the phrase GDPR around and assume that people kind of... But has it seeped through to consciousness that people yeah. have a bit more of an understanding that their How data important. is worth something yeah. and that personal privacy is, is important to you? Does America not have those type of things? Not to the same degree, absolutely not. They don't have GDPR. They're trying to develop um, okay. policy aware. like that. So what, is, what protects their data, though? Not a lot. Oh, my goodness. Americans... There's so many of them as well. <laughs> Americans seem to have fairly awful protection as individuals generally speaking in society like American maternity and paternity leave is awful American um, uh, holiday allowance is awful like they get a really you know raw they, deal they notice in America for high level roles two weeks both ways yeah but two do, weeks they have to do gardening leave like we do oh, I don't know. I but yeah know. just found it very interesting that um that Germans want to be paying more for letting technology platforms share their personal data uh, with third parties follow, uh, than, than the, the US customers. I can't see anything here for the UK. I'd like to believe that we are closer to Germany than we yeah. are to the US. I, I do believe that. I think that's because we're in Europe, like you say. Like we've all got, we've got I think we're, oh, we're in Europe, are we? <laughs> No, we're not. <laughs> oh, no, we're not. No, we are culturally. We stand alone. No, to be Brexit. fair, we do have we do have GDPR still because yeah. we have to because if you that think, makes sense. Well, also, if you are a company in, in the UK and you're a technology company, obviously you have a lot of European customers. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've got someone who holds a European passport yeah. using yeah. your data, they're still covered by GDPR. Yeah. So because of our proximity to the to the. To and the, also, we left Europe yeah. a month ago. Yeah, right. see, I need to get my head around that. But sooner rather than later. Just set it on air. Ending on a happy note for a Friday. <laughs> yes, look, thank you very much for joining Hayley and uh, Ali. Didn't call you Evie today. Enjoy Storm George. <laughs>